Hey there, chitheads, and welcome back to a very special UK Games Expo edition of Board Chitless. I am Lecky, and I spent part of the expo wandering around the convention halls of the NEC in Birmingham, looking for different people in and around the board games industry to just talk about what they liked from the expo and what they've been up to. This week's episode is chocked full of content, so I just want to get straight into it. But before we do that, I just wanted to thank Tristan and Francesca Hall from Hall or Nothing Productions for pretty much sponsoring this episode. They invited me down to the expo and let me stay on their stand for a while and demo some games. And without them, then not a lot of this episode would be possible. So thank you very much, guys. So let's get stuck into UK Games Expo 2019. I'm on the floor at the expo here, and I'm joined by Mark McKinnon of Dream Big Games. How are you doing, Mark? I'm fine, Lakey. How are you? Had a good show? Great show so far. I've been working with uh, Tristan on the whole Enough production stand, and I've just been demoing nonstop all day. It's quite nice to get a little bit of downtime. How have you been? Are you just been constantly at it demoing as well? Oh, we've been rammed up there. So running two tables all day, just four in, four out all day. Can't can beat it. When I went up there to just check on you to see if you were up for a podcast, they told me you're at the Bring and Buy. Did you manage to find any bargains in there? I don't know how anyone finds anything in there. But I did manage to find Oddball Aeronauts, so that's a little one, just a little small one I could take out. Nice, save a little bit of cash as well, it's not like spending all the money that you're making immediately on games. No, I don't want to, you don't want more coming out than what's going in, so. Brilliant. And you're here, um, you've been demoing and you've been promoting Wreck and Ruin, which is basically just landing with um, Kickstarter backers over the last couple of months, hasn't it? How's that been as a project? Yeah, it's great, it's taken me a while to get here. Last year we funded at Expo, so to come back next year and actually have a finished product to, to actually complete a Kickstarter early, never mind on time, with miniatures is pretty much unheard of, so very chuffed. That's full on, and you've been painting the miniatures as well, haven't you? I've seen on Facebook, they're looking beautiful. Yeah, I painted them and magnetised them, so it makes playing so much quicker and easier and just looks an absolute dream. Everybody has to play with that set when they go up there. Nice. I saw your um, tutorial online on how to magnetise the components. Where can we find that? So it's on Facebook. It's on YouTube. I have. You want to join one of my seven followers on there? And you can see the video on there. I'm, I'm going to subscribe, mate. I'm already on it. Ring that bell. So in terms of Wreck and Ruin then, you did a hell of a job pretty much distributing the game yourself. Like you got a load of pallets into your garage from the looks of it and then you're down to the post office. Do you still have any friends in the post office now? Have you just cut the bridges entirely there? They told me I'm not allowed back for a while. I did go in to advance warn them that I was coming in, but then when I came in, they said, what are you doing with all those boxes? And, uh, and then they dedicated a desk just for me. And the guy said, you better review me after this so I get my bonus. Would you recommend that to um, up-and-coming board games publishers, anyone that's running a sort of um, small to mid-range Kickstarter? Or would you say, actually, it hurt quite a lot? What, would you do it again for another project, I suppose, is what I'm trying to ask? I think I had 300 backers, so I had, it was manageable enough, it just took time. I would do it again at that scale, but definitely anything bigger, I would look to outsource. <laughs> nice, and it seems to be getting a pretty positive reception. I saw an unboxing from um, the We're Not Wizards uh, podcast, and that looks pretty nice. I, is it nice seeing all this um, positive sort of content come in and seeing people actually have the game in their hands? Yeah, it's great, and it's one of those weird things because you kind of a bit self-destructive. You're kind of looking for stuff for what people are saying, almost looking for bad stuff. But I've not found any yet, so that's good. You kind of watch reviews with kind of eyes half shut, kind of bind the fingers. I don't want to see this, and then the end of it, they're like, "We love it," and you're like, "All right, phew." It's always good, especially when people aren't pointing out all the like the typos and the rule books and what's wrong with all the cards and the miniatures. I did manage to miscount the number of tokens that I put in, so the rule book says there's 25 and there's only 24, but apart from that, nothing else has been found, so hopefully it stays that way. If I was self-publishing a game, I'd take that. I think, I think you've done pretty well for yourself. It's, a, it's an absolutely amazing achievement to get a project like that out. I know you took it to Kickstarter a couple of times, but I think it's a real, real good thing that you've done there. Can we look forward to seeing anything in the same sort of universe in the future? Are you looking at any expansions or any sort of follow-ups? Definitely, yeah. So the initial game had four scenarios and I always wanted it to be a scenario kind of driven game, a kind of campaign almost. Uh, I stripped that stuff back because when I was demoing, 
I was just doing the one kind all the time. Uh, so rather than, they weren't as well play tested, so I didn't want to just release them. Uh, but definitely I want to do community driven stuff. So there will be stuff that's free, print and play stuff, and then eventually new factions, new vehicles, new scenarios. Oh, they're all in the brain. Just need to get them out there now. Servicing that fan base that you're generating from the initial project, it's nice to see. And talking back, bringing it back to UK Games Expo then, it's the first time you've actually managed to call yourself out from the stand you were telling me. What is it, have you seen anything out here that sort of turns your head, that like really turns you on as a gamer that you thought, yeah, I'm gonna probably come back with some money and buy this? I've not had a chance to look at any of the stands. I literally went from my stand to the Bring It By. <laughs> so, it's, so it's only what's on the way there, but usually anything kind of minis driven, I'm all about the shiny, so. Any, anything with big minis, I'm interested in, there's quite a few here. So yeah, I just need to get out a little bit longer. Day release. Nice, and you were telling me that you're using the proceeds from some of your games in order to fund a train ticket for one of your colleagues to get them back home because you filled the car full of merch. How's that going? Yeah, so we're running the Get Craig Home Fund because he came down on his own, but he only bought a single ticket and we decided to fill his seat full of box games. So. We need to sell enough games that there's actually a seat in the car for them to come back with us. So that is the appeal that we're running right now. That's absolutely amazing. You've got to keep those guys keen. Well, I run a tight ship up there. I've got them all working, playing games, cracking the whip. <laughs> no, I, say, I let them get away and get and see what they want to see, but they always they come back and they're quite happy. I don't have to ask them to do anything. They're all fully involved and are just... They're enjoying it. They're, they've never done the expo like this before, so it's good for them as well. Well, thanks very much for joining me, Mark. It's always a pleasure to talk to somebody who's heavily invested in their own IP to the point they're bringing their own cosplay to the table. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's nice to speak to you. I'm sat here enjoying a coffee in the sort of food area with Rob Harris from Playtest UK. We've just been having a quick discussion about what Playtest UK is all about. I thought, let's do a little segment for Board Checklist. So, how are you doing, Rob? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. So, could you just tell us um, what the organisation Playtest UK does and how it all got started? Right, well, Playtest UK, we're a uh, community of games designers um, from up and down the country uh, that meet together to support each other um, by playing each other's games, giving feedback on each other's games, um, helping each other to maybe get published, if that's what people want. Um, yeah, and basically enjoying playing games with each other. How um, has it been sort of like watching this organisation grow and grow and grow and get more people involved and more meetups appearing around the country? Yeah, I mean, the organization started um, from my own need, really, for, um, for other designers to play my games with. Um, so when I first started designing games, I would play with members of friends and family, I think as everybody does. Uh, and then after a few months, when friends and family kind of, I got a bit tired of playing games just on bits of paper and card, uh, then I had to sort of look for another solution. And so, yeah, a few of my friends who were also designing, we sort of got together, we played each other's games, and then that kind of got a bit bigger and a bit bigger. We were in, in London at the time. Um, and then a few people uh, from Cambridge said, oh, hey, we'd quite like to set up something like this ourselves. So then we supported the Cambridge group to start. That got bigger and bigger. And then we, uh, we ran events at the UK Games Expo and at Dragon Meets. And then people from all around the country were saying, oh, this is fantastic. We're really enjoying playing our games with uh, playtesters, getting feedback, improving our games. Um, how can, we, uh, how can we do this ourselves? And it's like, oh, whereabouts are you based in the country? We can support you starting your own group. And now we're in uh, 21 different cities all around the UK. And we've got about 3,500 members on Meetup. So we're a Meetup forward slash playtest with weekly, monthly meets. Um, that's between different designers all around the country. And then we do these uh, larger public playtesting events as well, where designers can sit down and actually just get members of the gaming public to play their games and give them feedback. I counted about 15 tables, I think. It's quite a big presence that you've got here at UK Games Expo. How easy is it filling out all those tables? Do you have quite a lot of demands then throughout the weekend? Yeah, we've actually got 20 tables this weekend. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, the weekend sort of is Friday, Saturday are busier, Sunday's a little less busy. We book from about uh, February, March time. I start getting emails, to be honest, about December time, people saying, oh, I want to book a table, can I book a table? Um, so yes, yeah, so we take online bookings from then and then um, we allocate either three-hour sessions or 90-minute um, sessions, um, depending on the length of the game and how long people want to play test for. Uh, and actually, no, to be honest, most of the time we're completely oversubscribed. We always worry a little bit about, uh, you know, will we be able to get the playtesters? But, I mean, this year particularly, we've been absolutely packed. We've had the queues of playtesters waiting to play games, literally sort of, 
as some playtests has sit up from a, a design toe, we literally got others sitting down. So, um, so I think it's quite, uh, quite an experience for the designers having playtest after playtest after playtest. So they probably need to go and sit in a darkened room afterwards. But uh, I think they get as much feedback as they could possibly want. So that's really good. What a valuable experience, really, getting their game out into the wild and getting people to see it. Do they have to commit sort of any sort of monetary donation to the organization in order to um, get their games out to you? Uh, well, we asked for the um, three-hour sessions that we booked. We asked for a £15 charitable donation, and that goes to a charity called Express CIC, which is quite close to my heart. Um, they uh, help out with families with autistic children in my local area, and, and they've helped my family greatly. Um, so, yeah, so we like to do a little bit for them. We've managed to raise about £1,200 for them for this year from the, uh, the designers actually booking those three-hour slots. So that's that's been fantastic, and that's, that's another way that as an organization we can, we can give back a little bit as well. That's absolutely brilliant. It's always great when you've got a sort of um, like a social enterprise like this. So you're, help, you're helping designers for one, but then now you're helping a charity second. And it's just so many reasons to get involved. Um, how can people get in touch with you guys if they wanted to volunteer with Playtest UK or if they wanted to start um, just making themselves available to get to meet up some Playtest games? Uh, the best ways to get in touch with us are um, through our website, which is www.playtest.co.uk, or our meetup group, which is uh, www.meetup.com forward slash playtest. It's free to join. All our groups are pretty much free to attend as well. Actually, the 90-minute sessions here are free as well, because we, we are a community of designers. We're basically just trying to enable each other to get good feedback and improve our games. Uh, so we're a non-profit organization. We're just looking out for each other. Is there any sort of like rookie error that you see new game designers bring to the playtest table that like maybe they can avoid if they're listening to the podcast? Particularly at the expo in the playtest zone, uh, we see designers at various different stages of their career, I guess, in a way. Um, so we see some game designers where it's the first time the game may be seen by people beyond their friends and families, and that's a huge, great step just on its own. We also, within the group now, because we've been coming to Expo for 10 years, we've got a lot of established designers that have got maybe 20 published games behind them, so their playtesting is quite different. They're looking for specific things. Um, if I was going to give one word of uh, recommendation, perhaps for new designers uh, playtesting a game, would be to listen. Obviously, you're putting your creative baby on a table in front of strangers, which is a naturally a terrifying experience um, but if people if your playtests are telling you something um, rather than kind of arguing with them even if you don't agree with them uh, just make a note of what they're saying and then later on you can kind of discuss it a little bit more maybe with your friends and have a think over and see whether that's valid and uh, constructive criticism or not um, but I've, I've seen sometimes with uh, new designers where they're so sure that their game is fine that they will argue with the playtest and actually that's really defeating the, the prospects of getting that feedback. You really need to listen more. Excellent. And how is the expo been for you then? Uh, have you managed to get away from the stand and look around and, and demo a game or two? Or have you just been chained to the playtest area? I'm pretty much changed the playtest area most of the time, unfortunately. I think um, if anyone ever wants to come and meet me at Expo, pretty much come to the playtest zone and I'm there, um, barring toilet breaks and maybe the odd uh, go and grab a sandwich. Um, but I, I'm, to be honest, I just love the atmosphere that's there. We've got, you know, we are a community of designers and we're all there to help each other. And to see new designers come every year and to see, you know, the new games that are on the table. And now because we're because we've been around a little bit as well and we're known, actually a lot of the um, publishers come around and have a look at the stands as well. So we've noticed a lot of the German companies this year particularly as well, because Expo's getting bigger, are sort of looking over and seeing what the new designers are doing as well. I mean, there was, I think on Friday morning, we had a guy who came in and it was his second game he's brought to us. And he had two offers from publishers on the table. So he got two business cards within the first hour. So, you know, when you hear things like that, it's just, it's fantastic. Well, that segues really neatly into what would have been my final question, which would have been, have you got any sort of like big success stories from Playtest UK? Have you seen any designers come in that have then gone on to like just publish prolific games? Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we've seen a lot. I mean, we're going since uh, 2009. So um, in that time, I think British game design on the whole has just really rocketed. It really has. Um, you know, so many new people coming into design and, and so, many, um, so many getting published as well. I mean, so many more British publishers as well. I mean, 10 years ago, there was maybe a handful, and now we've got lots of great independent companies like Backspindle Games, Alleycat Games, uh, you know, lots of really great companies that have, have you know, started up and are bringing new, fresh ideas to the market. Um, as regards uh, designers, I mean, we've seen 
people at playtesters. So maybe um, you would have heard of our, um, Matt Dunstan and uh, Brett Gilbert. I think Brett Gilbert's got maybe 25 published games now. And, uh, and, Matt, and with Matt Dunstan, they design games uh, uh, Elysium, which has obviously had a, a Spiel Yarn nomination. So yeah, we've seen lots of different types of games. I mean, some people create games maybe just for their friends and families. Other people want games to get published. And we're, we're really there for anyone. We're a, we're a broad church. Just goes to show then, like what a lovely safe space you're providing for game designers, just to like, just really work some some of the kinks for the games and get them to one more step towards publishing. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me today, Bob, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your expo. That's a pleasure. Have a great time. the Backspindle Games stall with David Brayshaw. How are you doing, David? Not too bad, thank you. Have you been enjoying the weekend as a uh, games publisher? Yeah, we always uh, enjoy the expo. We've been coming here for the last eight years. We came originally to the expo when it was back in the old hotel, so long before it came to the Hilton. We were down there and we were with the Stevian back then with Guards Guards, so back in 2011 we were, we were on the scene. So you were the uh, old guard of the UK Games Expo then? Uh, well, yes, but young at heart. I understand it's the UK release of Mornquest actually at the Expo. How has that game been going down? Can you just tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, Mornquest, as in the Morn Mountains in Northern Ireland, uh, it's been going down very well. It's, uh, it was basically a kickstart project for us, and um, it's our first ever minis game, and it was an idea of ours that we met a local author who wrote a book called Mornquest about a little boy in Ireland, and he met all these mythical creatures and so on, the magic with the dandelion. And we just thought that's a brilliant theme. Uh, unfortunately, at the time, the author had created a board game based on it, which was not really what a more modern board game would be, probably. Um, we thought, you know what, we could do stuff with this that would be really cool. And hence, we uh, worked on the, the board game for quite a while, developed a really nice board game, play tested it, and then uh, we decided, you know what, it would be really cool if we got minis for this. Then we made the minis. Fantastic. And how was that process of uh, developing minis? And you say it's your first miniatures game. Was there a lot to learn? Yeah, there was a vast a lot to learn. Um, we had worked with, obviously, a lot of people in the industry here and both in the USA. Um, and we were very lucky because we had worked with local guys on the art for Mornquest. A guy called John Farley was Captain Wonder Cartoons. And he's actually done a, like, a Judge Shred comic at one stage. And then a guy behind us there called Alan Perry. And Alan was doing the colouring of the, the, the drawings, and we were talking about doing the sculpts, the 3D sculpts. And Alan says, well, I've done a bit of 3D sculpting. And we went, well, we'll let you try it and see how it goes. So basically, we got him to do some sculpts, and then we sent the sculpts, the, the STL files, to other friends in the industry who've done minis. And they give us some recommendations on how we would change them a little bit. And basically, the minis have turned out really, really nicely. Tom Vassell, bless his heart, came around to the expo last year and he said, David, the Irish minis, he said, you guys have knocked it out of the ballpark. They're really cool, which is a really nice compliment for us in our first minis game. That's high praise considering that Tom doesn't, you know, he's, he doesn't pull his punches, does he really? You know, if he wouldn't like it, then he'll definitely let you know. Oh yeah, Tom is very straight. He'll tell you if he doesn't like it, he'll tell you what he likes about it. And I, I appreciate that working in the industry because we need to know, um, you know, what, what do gamers want? And not, a, not all gamers want the same thing. Uh, and we do know that a small percentage of them will want really nice minis, but a big percentage of them, first and foremost, like ourselves, will want a really good game. What was the public response like when you started showing them off on Kickstarter and when they've seen them in real life now at the Games Expo? Yeah, well, Kickstarter's been good. I mean, all the feedback, the comments has, has been really, really good. Showing it off at the Expo, people have come around, have seen stuff on Twitter, social media, they've come around just to see the game. Um, they sat down. We don't let them play the game because it really takes probably two hours. It's a good evening's entertainment. But everybody who sat down loves the minis, coos over the board, likes the mechanics. It's very different. We try not to design games that are like anybody else's games. We try to be imaginative from day one. We try to have more than one thing going on in the game. Uh, and Mornquest certainly has that. But it also has the ramp up factor, which the book had. In other words, it starts easy and then builds up. Yeah, um, I was being shown the game before, and the actual board mechanic, uh, the board has mechanics, which is really interesting to see, you know, beyond just like reveal a tile. Um, where this sort of um, inspiration for that come from? Is that in the book, or is that something that you added for the game? Well, it sort of probably came a little bit of what Gary did originally in his board game. He had done a board game, which was pretty much a square board game. He had circles in it with creatures in it, and basically you did like circles of creatures till you defeated the creatures. 
So the ideas of circles was probably always there. And then we thought, how can we encompass the creatures into a board that would work like that? And we came up with the idea of a Celtic-style cross for the board game. And then the creatures moved out from the board into the, the curves of the cross. And then we thought, how do we, how do we do the movement thing? Because we don't want to be moving around the creatures. We want to have a bit where people have to do something. In the book, the, the, the evil shimnivore is controlling the creatures. So you've got to release them. So we thought, well, we need a mechanic to release the creatures. Well, we'll make the players work for it. So we have them running around the board in the Mourn Mountains on the pass, finding charms of blackthorn, granite, gold and flax. And they have to put them on the disc with the creatures before the moon turns around and the creatures get released. Because the creatures, unfortunately, are acting for the chimnivore until they're released. And they will come and hunt you down with their special abilities. And it's kind of nasty. So you got in your best interests, get rid of the creatures, let them be happy and, you know, defeat the evil chimnivore. It looks like it's got a very steep sort of um, complexity curve on it in terms of you start the game, it works quite slowly, and then as you progress, it sort of ramps up. So it's very nice to see. I, I do enjoy a game myself where it's quite difficult to get that actual winning state. I know I'm going to have fun with it. In terms of the expo itself, have you been able to explore a bit? Have you seen any games that you like the look of? Well, being a publisher, you spend a lot of time in meetings, and you spend a lot of time with making sure your booth's running properly, and then you know, meeting customers at your booth, helping the team out, keeping everything right. You probably do a lot of running around. I managed to get some time off this morning, and I got a nice little game from Grimlord called Village Attacks. And Village Attacks is pretty much a big box game with little minis, and it's a bit like a dungeon crawler, but it's the other way around. Okay. You basically play the, you know, the vampire, the leech, whatever, the evil creatures in the castle, and the villagers come attack, and you have to defend them. So that kind of appealed to me. It's kind of cool. I've always liked dungeon crawlers. You know, the unexpected what's coming around the corner. So I suppose you don't know if it's a villager with a, a rolling pin or, or, or a club. I haven't played the game yet. I don't know what weapons they have, but I'm looking forward to trying it. Nice. And have you been gaming quite hard in the evening? Do you like go back to your hotel room with the guys here or do you go over to the King's Rooms at the Hilton? We went to the Hilton last night in the last couple of nights um, and the gaming rooms were full, 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 full. We did play a couple of games in the bar. They played, I don't know what they played, some of the silly filler games last night. I didn't actually play them. I actually ended up having a bit of a business meeting for about two and a half hours with a few beers, of course. But yeah, I mean, I'm a gamer. I like time out to game. Um, there's another Northern Ireland company just behind us there who've done a little pirate game. Can't for the life of me remember what it's called, but it's a little pirate game with cards and a little play mats. We played that the first night. That was really quite cool. If people want to learn more about Mornquest and um, more essentially buy a copy, where can they go to? Well, they can buy it off our website, of course, which is backspindlegames.co.uk. And that's the best place, I suppose, because we'll be able to interact with them if anything goes wrong they can email us direct we have obviously Facebook social media Twitter YouTube Instagram all that sort of stuff if they want to follow us or, or know what we're doing what's happening for Essen and stuff like that are you going to be at Essen this year? yep we're going to be at Essen again we'll obviously have Mornquest there for the first time we have German rules they've already been written so we got to get those into like a book and organise that that will be a big thing for us taking Mornquest to Essen I think well, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate coming up in the future, but, you know, it's very exciting then when it is coming out. Thanks very much for speaking to me and thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much. It's been uh, another great expo and my credit and my hat's off to all the organisers and to all, of course, the gamers who come and support the show. Well said. Thank you very much. production stand with Ross Connell from More Games, please. How are you doing, Ross? I'm doing great. I'm pretty tired, but it's been an amazing expo so far. It's been an emotional journey, hasn't it, really? It's like three long days for you. And have you still got Haribo, or did you run out of Haribo about 10 minutes in? I think I ran out of Haribo on the train journey here <laughs> and then crashed immediately after. Amazing. That's always a strong start to any sort of uh, public engagement. So could you tell us a little bit about More Games, please, and what you've been doing with that? It's like an artwork blog for board games. Yeah, so I uh, two years ago, just after the UK Gamesburg Expo, I launched a website called More Games, Please, which is the idea behind it is to interview illustrators, graphic designers, and the creatives behind board game illustrations. And the idea is just because you hear a lot about the design, you hear a lot about opinions of the game mechanics and the gameplay, but you often have no clue who the illustrators are and don't know anything about them. So it's interviewing them to find out their backstories, their experiences when working in industry, the kind of things that inspire them, and you know a bit about their lives. 
Yeah, designers, I suppose, of games tend to take center stage, especially when it comes to Kickstarter campaigns and stuff. And I suppose the illustrators and the artworks, is, even though if they might be employed, do sort of take a back seat and can be overlooked. It's, I think it's a great idea, and I've, um, I find it's a really interesting website just to look, look through. And it's sort of become a bit of a living archive now of um, artwork like through the sort of years. Yeah, so there's over 60 interviews on there now. Um, and I think what's nice about it is you can just treat it like a visual gallery if you want. You don't necessarily have to read the words. If you just want to see sketches and prototypes and behind the scenes stuff, you can check that out. It's interesting from like a couple of different angles. It's interesting if you're an illustrator and an artist and you want to see like actually how the person develops their work, the stuff that shows you that. Or if you just want to see, you know, a little bit more of what goes into creating board game art, just from a curiosity perspective, it does that as well. Ace, and you've been doing a bit of photography um, for board games. Have you been doing that on a freelance basis? Or is that like a passion project? Yeah, so it started um, much like my interviews as a passion project, but then last year I started getting contacted by publishers to take freelance photography for them and it's just kind of gone from there so this year I've been taking more and more photographs and it's kind of like a combination of like product photography that might be used on a site or on a sell sheet or things that are more like lifestyle orientated that would be used for social media or kickstarter pages that kind of thing. Fantastic now looking at the expo over the weekend has there been any sort of new games with lovely gorgeous artwork that you've just sort of been drooling over? It's really difficult because you see so much here it's often hard to kind of like register and log it in. Uh, for me, personally, it's actually a game I've already bought. Um, Vincent Dutre's got a game uh, that he did the illustration for called Museum, and basically anything I, he touches I consider gold, so that's great. There's a Taiwanese company um, in the, that was in the middle of the hole, but for the life of me I can't remember their name and how to say it properly, so I'm not going to do that. But they had a game that's called Raid on like Taiko or Taiku or something along those lines. Again, I can't remember the name properly, so I don't want to garble it. Uh, however, that has, because uh, I talked to them about the illustration, that is hand-painted on the cover art and that kind of thing. I love digital art, but when you actually see the textures in there, it, like, it reminds you that a person created that. And that's kind of special to see the actual, you know, the, stroke, the brush strokes and all that kind of stuff in the illustration work. Yeah, it's nice to see um, like real-life artwork that's then been scanned and resized and repurposed rather than just, you know, something that's built in Illustrator or something like that. <laughs> Well done, everyone. I wasn't banking on a huge round of applause for you turning up for the podcast, Ross. You can edit that in. Yeah, edit. Please make it be known that that huge round of applause coincidentally was also for me. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I'm a big fan of Ryan Lawcat's games, and he's a, another designer that also produces his own artwork. It's been interesting watching him sort of progress and come up with some various styles over the years. Is there any particular style of artwork that you like to see in games? Yeah, so for me, I suppose I don't tend to lean towards uh, fantasy work. I suppose I kind of like things with more abstract colors, more vibrant, maybe less realistic, and more kind of, you know, pushing the boundaries of how things can look. Like, an example of that would be, you know, maybe Quancha Maria, who's done, like, Flip Ships, the cover of that, which is a space one. Incredibly colorful. Uh, Vincent Dutre, Pret a Porter, is a new game coming out from Portal Games. He's done, like, a, it's a reskin, a retheme of that, an updated version of that. And that's very colorful and vibrant as well about the art, about the fashion world and business and all that kind of stuff. So I think I like things that are quite lively and artistic. Or... Someone like Kyle Ferrin, who did the illustration for Root, and it has that kind of whimsical childhood charm, and I, I, I like that thing. I'm like quite nostalgic with my my choices, I suppose. It's cool. Um, Everdell got the top place for your um, board game art of 2018. I suppose that'll fit the box quite nicely for what we were just talking about there. Yeah. So that was a public vote uh, for anyone who hasn't visited my website. Each year, I do a public vote. You nominate nominations of who has the best illustrations uh, for a game of that year. So there was over 200 games nominated. And then from about 4,000 votes, Everdell came number one, uh, which is a beautiful game. Andy Bosley did the artwork for that. And he's done an updated version of Love Letter. He did the updated version of Citadels. Just really beautiful character art. But also there's that anthropomorphic animal person kind of art style uh, that, yeah, that is lovely. What's been your favorite game of the expo? Have you been demoing quite a lot? What sort of like, what would you put up there? 
See, the answer is not really going to be satisfying anyone looking for new games. My favorite game experience of the Expo, uh, I played a 19-player game of Two Rooms and a Boom for like 45 minutes. And that's kind of like, I own, weirdly, two copies of Two Rooms and a Boom, but have played them zero times. So at an Expo, that's where you get that kind of like big convention experience. Plus, I played Blood on the Clock Tower, as a new game experience, that would be the best new game experience I had. Again, not something I can imagine I'd be playing at home, but if you have a big group of people or you go to a lot of game nights, stuff like that, then those are two great examples of getting people together and just having an amazing, kind of authentic, different experience than a standard sit and shuffle kind of game. It's a great show. I'm a big fan of party games myself. Two Rooms and a Boom um, goes down great when I have a board games night at work. So where can people uh, get to more games, please? Yeah, so if you want to see more of my stuff, my website's moregamesplease.com. That's where I interview board game artists and illustrators, that kind of thing. I'm also on Instagram, at moregamesplease. Pretty straightforward. Or I'm on Twitter, which is moregamesplus, because some account from like five years ago has more games, please, and they've never even posted on it, and I hate them. Well, thank you very much for joining us right at the end of UK Games Expo. We've been wrapping it up with you, which has been quite exciting. Have a safe trip home. Thanks for having me on, and yeah, bye. <laughs>
I'm here for the meetup. And if you're here for the meetup as well, let, let's get talking and then, yeah, we'll do it from there. And then in terms of your seminar, so that was all based around um, teaching people the rules of board games, which is something you know a little bit about, I suppose, you know, of the Just, just a little. Career. <laughs> it, it was really busy. I was really pleased that the room was busy because unfortunately the seminar had been put down under the publisher stroke designer track series of seminars okay. rather than the normal seminars. Right. So there was a lot of people in the weeks leading up to it that said, oh, I've heard you're doing a seminar, but I can't find it. Because if you go to the UK Games Expo website and list, list the seminars, right. it wasn't on there. And it's because they've split the seminars into two types. One of them, which is just general seminars for everybody. And then one of them, which is more focused on publishers and designers. I see, for the industry Which is harder folks. to find. And I was in that one. So that was a bit disappointing. It was too late to get it changed. And the other thing as well is it wasn't actually that clear on the website where the seminars were being held. And a few people contacted me afterwards and said, I really wanted to come to this, went to the website, found it, but didn't know where it was being held. So, you know, that's that's kind of out of my control. Saying that, there was a lot of people in there. I don't know how, how full the room was, and I'm going to hazard a guess that there was probably about 80 people in there, maybe? That sounds like a really strong number. Yeah, a lot more than I was expecting. Um, now, bearing in mind, I'd had an awful night the night before. I'd had about one hour sleep. Not through choice. I wasn't staying up drinking and playing okay, games all night. I no, I, I had certain um, sleep-related issues that crept in. I mean, I was completely run down, completely yeah. exhausted, feeling awful. I didn't think the seminar went as well as it could have done. I stumbled a couple of times, but the amount of messages I've had afterwards yeah. from people saying that was really good um, and that they found it really useful. It's clear that I do know what I'm talking about. And even if I don't think I gave it the best delivery, yeah. what I said was was of value to, to a lot of people. So that was really rewarding to do that. That's great. It just imparted a little bit of knowledge. And um, that's that's really what those seminars are for as well. For me, speaking personally, I can't teach games for Toffee. Um, right. So I was demoing some of um, Tristan Hall's games over the weekend. And I've like, I really like put myself out there to make sure I know most of the rules inside out. And I, yep. I know what I'm doing. And I felt quite confident about that. So I think these sorts of seminars are what people, they might need just to help them get over that sort of confidence barrier, especially if they're not playing games in groups that often. It's great to have that resource there, Paul. Was the seminar recorded at all? I know a lot of things were it being live streamed. Yep. A, a guy said at the start, do you want this recorded? I said, yes. That was it. I've not heard anything more since. <laughs> Fantastic. So I assume at some point, somebody's going to drop me an email and just say, Here, here's, the, here's the video output from it. Cool. You know, do what you want with it. And I'll stick it up on my channel. So you can you can see a bedraggled looking me struggling <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> trying to struggle trying to, remember, to talk about things. Remember yeah. what his name is. Where do you normally post stuff like that? So we know that you do, you know, a decent amount of content. You're a rules editor, basically. That's your bread and butter. You also create rules videos. You create yeah. video overviews, playthroughs, and a few couple of podcasts as well. So where yep. do people ingest all this content it'll be all on my youtube channel so gaming rules videos mm -hmm. is the youtube channel and yeah every everything i put will be on there i will do a social media post about it on facebook and twitter but unless you happen to be you know looking at it in that yeah. particular minute you'll miss it so i use my board game geek guild guild number 2258 i post stuff on there because that's a bit more permanent yeah you know and people can go to the guild and go ah oh, there it is um but yeah i'll, I'll put it on the youtube channel Sounds good. Um, so then moving on from one convention to another, um, in May you did a charity gaming day under the GridCon banner and it looks yes. like that's now becoming a 3D event in November. Could you just explain to us what GridCon is? So GridCon is, it stands for Gaming Rules in Devon because I'm Gaming Rules, I'm in Devon. Excellent. So there we go. I've been hosting, it was originally called Paul's Post SN Games Weekend. Okay. And it started in 1999, a month after I got back from Essen. Yeah. For the first time I went, and basically it was an opportunity to play through all of the games that I'd picked up at Essen. Right. And that's continued over the last 20 years. It's got bigger and bigger, and as I've moved house, I've invited more and more people. And it got to a point probably three or four years ago where I basically could invite and wanted to invite more people than I than I actually could. I see. Because once you start working in the industry and you start networking and getting in contact with people, I already had enough friends that came round to it, but suddenly I now want to invite some designers that I know or yeah. publisher friends or, or this, that and the other. So it outgrew itself at least three or four years ago and I've had to basically been limiting the invites. So this year, I've decided to turn it into an actual convention. I've booked a venue yeah. and there's actually three events in a year. So the Charity Games Day yeah. was the first weekend in May. That's going to continue. It's going to be a one-day event raising money for charity. And then there are going to be two grid cons, one in the summer, one in November. So I've got an event happening in five weeks' time, five, probably four weeks' time, 
and then another one in November. Now, what's confusing is that the hotel that I've chosen to run these events in was not free, that it was not available this July right. at the dates that I wanted it or one on either side because I was prepared to be a little bit flexible, but they weren't yeah. free any of those three weeks. So I've actually booked a different venue for this summer's GridCon. And a couple of people have advised me from a marketing point of view yeah. not to call it GridCon, because otherwise people are gonna turn up and think, oh, is this, is this, is this what GridCon's gonna be like? It's basically, it's in, a, it's in a community center, which is great, it's a great venue, it's the one I use for the charity games day, but there's no accommodation on site because it's yeah. a community centre. And they said, if you advertise this as GridCon and people come to it and then go, oh, well, that wasn't very You'll good. You'll get no one rocking up might... to November. Is that... Exactly. Yeah. So I've called it Ting, which is, this is not GridCon. <laughs> and it's actually caused more confusion. GridCon is the umbrella name yeah. for all of the events. There's the Charity Games Day. There, this, this summer is Ting. Yep. This November is GridCon. But moving forward, it will be GridCon Summer and GridCon Winter and the Charity Games Day. I see. Um, so yeah, it's all, all very confusing. But basically, yeah, it's a new UK convention. Only a small one. It's yeah. like 150 people just playing games. It's nothing, uh, you know, there's no exhibitors or anything like that. I see. But there's plenty of conventions like that that go on around the country. Yeah. And I go to a lot of them. They're all really good. So I thought, I'll do my own. Well, being in Devon as well, is the niche basically that you're a lot closer than Birmingham or Manchester or London? It's more for a localised, you know, people in Devon can get together and game rather than having to travel quite far? Or is it more that, you know, it's near to you, so why not make everyone else travel it, for once? It, it's near to me. I mean, the, the community centre where I'm hosting Ting is round the corner from my house. I, I walk to it. That's nice so, and convenient. Yeah, the, uh, GridCon's going to be in Tiverton, so it's a little bit of a drive for me. It's about 20 minutes drive. Um, but Columpton is a small town. There wasn't a proper venue that we could find. I mean, the community centre's great. Uh, and we got 130 people in for the Charity Games Day, and we could have got 150, 160. The problem is the community centre was built with money from the church, yeah. and the church have it every Sunday. Right. At which point, and because there's no accommodation on site, at which point I thought, right, that's not going to be the best venue for me. Um, so that's where I started looking around at a hotel. And there was one in Columpton, but negotiations with them fell through. Um so we found the one in Tiverton, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, it'll start small and then it'll grow. I kind of don't want it to grow. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not in it to turn this into a, you know, a handycon or an aircon and make, you know, you know and, and make it this massive thing. I just want to run my own convention because I've kind of been, as I say, I've been hosting 30 people at my house for four days, twice a year for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, so it's about time we grew bigger than that. That's fair enough. And it's like trying to get that many people into your house as well, it can cause some serious problems, both structurally and you know with your infrastructure. So I think you've been quite well, sensible. Well, it's, it's when, when twenty five people turn back, turn up from the pizza shop and go, right, we all need plates, we all need knives, and I'm like, oh. yeah. So yeah, the logistics of having that many people in the house, nice. uh, it, it got a bit much. But yeah, that's that. It's exciting, but it's also a bit nerve wracking because I've only sold about 50 tickets for the summer event. I see. And people have said, oh, don't worry about it. Numbers will pick up in the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, well, I don't know whether they will or not. So yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about it. And we'll see We'll see what happens. Only time can tell. Um, I, can people buy tickets on the door or is it more of a buy online? Mm, well, it's supposed to be online because I've only got space for 150 people. So I've said that you need a ticket. Okay. But if it gets to the day itself and you go online and there's still a ticket available, that means we've got space. But if it says sold out, then I can't really have anybody turning up on the day yeah. without a ticket because I, I won't have anywhere for them to go. We are at, I mean, we're not at the capacity of the building because, of course, buildings can have rooms, you know, when you lay the chairs out in theatre style. But about 150, 160 people is probably about the capacity with regards to, you know, tables and chairs. It sounds like um, it should be two really good events, really. You mentioned the Charity Gaming Day. What were you fundraising for? Yeah, so I've, I've been made aware of um, the Chrysalis Youth Empowerment Network a couple of years ago, and basically everything that I've been doing regarding fundraising has been for them. Yeah. So the network is is basically, it's kids in Africa, and it's empowering them to be um, be better people and to become leaders and be able to you know teach other people and do lots and lots of good things. They have a board game aspect to it, where they play board games, they learn board games, and they teach lots of board games. Uh, and they do their own little convention and everything else. So there's definitely a board gaming angle to it. Yeah. When I heard this initially, I was like, okay, so a group of kids in Africa probably playing chess or Monopoly or whatever. Then I saw some photos. They were playing medium to heavy Euro games. 
they were getting really involved then in the uh, <coughs> yeah. The dark side and I was of the like, hobby. I was like, oh, okay, wow, you know. And I saw one photo, and they were playing Madeira, which is you know really heavy game, one of my favourite games. Yeah. And they were playing it, and they said, oh yeah, they've played it, they've learnt it, and now Joseph, who's sixteen, he's he's now teaching it to all the other kids. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I was I was suitably impressed, and uh, you know, giving money to yeah. charity and doing things for charity makes me feel good. So it's purely selfish reasons. Gaming Rules donates some money to to the uh, charity every year. Um, I do a charity raffle in November where the money will go to them. I did the charity games day where the yep. money will go to them. And there'll be other things as well, just you know, just doing my bit really. Fantastic. So by supporting Gaming Rules, people can really find out how to support the charity as well. Yeah, certainly for the charity games day, all of the profits went to charity. And yeah, the charity raffle that I run at the November GridCon all, all of that money is going to go to the charity as well. Fantastic. And alongside the raffle, is there going to be any more sort of um, fringe events going on, any sort of seminars? Is it purely gaming? Yeah, I mean, no seminars because it's basically it's two rooms in a hotel with people playing games. Impromptu and seminar. You could just start shouting. Well, I could do. <laughs> I kind of made a point. A number of people have said, look, this is your first convention. You've got, you, you've got to consider the fact that there's going to be issues with the hotel. Yeah. Going to, there's going to be all these problems. You need to focus on that. Don't do what you normally do at conventions, which is book yourself out for 25 hours a day. Yeah, I've gone into both of these events saying, nope, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to provide a room with tables and, and people can play games. But I like organising tournaments. I like organising things like that. So whilst I won't be organising like seminars, because yeah. as I say, we don't really have a room, I am thinking of doing a couple of little tournaments, especially if I can get one of my friends to help run it. I like tournaments being run at conventions, especially ones where... You know, it's a two-player game and a game takes like 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. So something like War Chest or Key Forge or something like that, it, it's taking three or four hours of people's time at the most and they get to take part in a tournament. I'll get some prize support from the publisher. It's just one of those things yeah. that I, I like to try and do. There's talk about running one of the 12-player Arkham Horror events at, at one of them as well. Those th type of things are hard to do at other places, yeah. but at conventions is, is a great place where you can do something like that. So yes, I am planning on doing that. Now... For the summer one, I've got a few designers. Frank West is coming down from City of Games. Oh, cool. um, Ian Schofield's coming down, who designed Ravage. He's relatively local. Um, and a guy called Richard Breeze, who designed the key series of games, who for me is like a big catch, because Richard's like a hero of, yeah. well, me and a lot of people. I've got to know Richard over the last few years, so he's actually become a friend. I invited him down. He's, he's, he's been to my events before at my house. So I invited him down and I said, look, this isn't, this isn't going to be at my house anymore. And he's more than happy to come down. So that, that's quite a big thing. The November one, I don't want to announce that I've got Vita Lacerda appearing there. Okay. But, so I won't know, say that. We'll just casually, you know, just leave it but, uh, out on the table. But I'll casually, yeah, I'll, I'll casually just drop that, that <laughs> in. That, um, the November one might have Vita Lacerda at it. Because I was talking to him, again, somebody else who's a massive hero of mine, who's over the last few years, has become a client and yeah. a friend. Um, he said, oh, yeah, I've, I've wanted to go to a convention in the UK, so if you're starting your own, I'll, I'll come to yours to support you. And I'm like, mine's a hotel with people playing games. It's not going to be, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to go to a UK convention, you need to go to UK Games Expo or Handicon or Aircon or, you know, one of the big ones and see that. And uh, he said, no, no, that's fine. I said, you do realise it'll be in Devon in November... Because his, his yeah. wife's probably going to come across with him and probably going to go for the day out somewhere. And I'm like, it's going to be cold and wet <laughs> and miserable. And it's going to be dark at five o'clock. You'll see two so, people, um, though. It'll be fine. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, so, um, yeah. It's going to be interesting seeing about 150 people trying to say, play the same game with the same person on the same table. Um, how are that, you gonna... that, that might be tricky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might need some sort of... Um number and queuing system we'll need we'll need a number queuing system or people will literally just take it in turns right so on this turn brian your go what you're going to do Fantastic. brian takes his turn disappears off vittle takes his turn and then mary comes up yeah. and goes, mary it's your go what are you going to do like when, that, uh, that might when people play like you know 16 different games at once you know the chess masters you see in like new york yeah be quite interesting yeah well, we'll, we'll work something out <laughs> it sounds like an awful lot of fun before i let you go paul um as it's mm -hmm. a uk games expo sort of roundup special for board chitless i will ask you did you see any games in the halls when you had two minutes running from the toilet back to the czech games edition stand and the seminar rooms was there anything that you liked the look of that you hadn't seen before that i hadn't seen before mm. no i mean yeah you're right it was literally a few minutes here and there running around between the toilet and the booth so i didn't get a chance to actually 
see the halls much. I was aware of some new games that were coming out, a number of which were on my radar beforehand. So Star Wars Outer Rim is on my radar. Yep. I now have a copy. I'm playing Ace. it this Friday. I've not even opened. I've not even opened the box yet, but I'm quite excited about it because I like the theme. Not just because it's Star Wars, but because it's like uh, mercenaries and yeah, smugglers and, and things like that. It's a really nice um, sort of like idea to have around the Star Wars universe, especially when it yeah. sort of shifts away from Jedi's a bit as well. Yeah. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to that. And there's a few other ones as well. Um, Foothills. Tony Boydell, Snowdonia, two-player experience. I didn't manage to get a copy. They only had 60 of them. Okay. But that, that was something that, you know, that's my kind of game. But it was really nice to see that there were 87 new games released at Expo. Yes. Now, when I got told that, I didn't believe that. But then somebody showed me the list. I remember five years ago, one UK publisher probably released one game at Expo, and that was it. Yeah. And now we've got... UK Games Expo is kind of on the map as a release date. Not as big as Gen Con, not as big as Essen. But yeah, 87 yeah. games were released there. Now, that was quite impressive. People were really planning around it. I know um, David Brayshaw at Backspindle Games, he released Mornquest. And so it kick-started, yeah. but it was the big UK reveal. And that was very exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Paul. It's really That's appreciated right. taking the time. Um, no, thank you for having me on the show. Not a problem, anytime. And best of luck with Gricom. Thank you very much. Thank you to everybody who took the time to talk to me at UK Games Expo for this episode and to all the chitheads that stopped by the Hall of Nothing production stand and said hello. We had some really nice conversations and it was great to meet you all. If you had a great time at UK Games Expo or saw any games that you really want to shout about, remember you can talk to us on the Facebook Board Chitless group. So just head over to Facebook and you can seek us out there, leave a comment and post some photos. We'd really like to hear about the time that you had at UK Games Expo this year please head to iTunes and subscribe if you don't already, if you're a new listener, and leave us a lovely review and a rating, or even an average review and a rating. Um, it really helps us to like spread the word. We really want to increase the amount of chips heads around the world, and it's only you that can help us to do that. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon with more interviews and session reports for you. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.